So, uh, as I was preparing this week, I came across um, this really heartbreaking story uh, of the time this man decided to take his adopted daughter to Disney World for the first time ever. And I know that doesn't seem very depressing, um, which, you know, it shouldn't. They're going to Disney World. Um, But it does become depressing when you hear about this girl's background. Um, She had been adopted before, um, and because the family um, was unable to integrate her with the other, like, natural-born children, um, they, they dissolved the adoption. Um, so basically, they, they promised this girl um, that, that she was a part of their family. They promised that she, they would love her forever. They promised her that um, no, matter, no matter what, she was theirs. Um, and then because of some difficulties um, with her and the other children, they, they just went back on all those promises and dissolved the adoption. But what's more heartbreaking than that, which that doesn't seem like it can get much more heartbreaking, um, at least to me it doesn't, was that uh, this family, this previous family, they had taken multiple family trips to Disney World while the girl was in their house. And each time they went to Disney World, they left the girl at home with a family friend, which kind of makes you start wondering, like, oh, why did you not have a, why did you have such a hard time integrating the girl with your other children? Well, you weren't taking her on family vacations. Um, so it just it just breaks my heart um, to think about this poor girl um, who had heard all these stories, had seen all the videos, um, had heard about the parades and the fireworks, the characters, like all these cool, amazing things that happen at Disney World, um, but she never got to go. She only got to experience it uh, secondhand. She only got to hear the stories and see the videos, but never got to experience the joy of walking through the gates and seeing the castle for the first time. Um, and to her, for whatever reason... In her, in her mind, it was always something she did that precluded her presence from the trip. It was always her behavior or her, something about her personally that made her previous family leave her behind. Um, and so that just, to me, that's just beyond heartbreaking um, to think of what that little girl was going through, what was going through that little girl's mind um, at the time. Well, anyway, this man who then adopted this girl, this is his second family, um, he heard about this from, from the little girl, and so he planned on taking her to Disney World for the first time ever. He was going to take her. He, he was positive. Um, he was resolute. He was going to do it no matter what. Um, and as the trip got closer and closer, the little girl's behavior, which was normally good, she was, she was a, a, a good daughter for the most part, um, as the trip got closer and closer, her behavior got worse and worse. Like, as they got closer to this, this trip that she had so longed for and that the father was so happy about taking his daughter on, um, her behavior got just so bad to the point where the, the father had actually considered kind of hanging Disney World over her head. It's like, if you don't get your act straight, if you don't get your act together, if you don't, if you don't behave, then you're not gonna get, we're not going to go to Disney World. He, he, that, that thought had crossed his mind. But as he sat down with his daughter, he put her on his, on his knee and was going to start talking to her about, his, about her behavior. Um, he, the little girl stopped him before he could start and said, and said this. She said, Dad, I know what you're going to do. I know I'm not getting to go to Disney World. I know you're not going to take me to Disney World. See, she, she knew in, in, in her past, in her own life, she knew that there's nothing she could do to earn her way to Disney World. Nothing she could do. She had tried and failed that test so many times before. Each time her previous family had, had gone, she had um, been left out um, because of something she thought she did. Um, and so she was living in a way that put her as far away as possible from the most magical place on earth. She was living in a way that was going to make, make it so her hopes didn't get up. 
she didn't even want to try anymore. She, she figured, hey, it's, you know, it's better for me just to act up and have fun and be mean and whatever if I'm not going to get to go anyway. She was living as far away um, as she could from the most magical place on earth. And there's more to that story, and we're going to come back to it. But for now, let's look at our text. Um, we're, we're reading Ephesians 2, uh, verses 1 through 10. This is God's Word, so whatever I say today, if you hear anything at all, hear this. This is, this is what has the power to change lives. Um, not what I have to say, but this. This is Ephesians 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with Him, and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time that you've given us to hear your word, to know that you are good to us, to know that you've saved us. Father, I pray that um, as we study this text this morning, I pray that you give me clarity, that I may um, make uh, obvious what points that you have to make through this text through Paul, and that um, we can leave here refreshed and encouraged uh, by the fact that, um, that you make us alive. Father, it is in your son's precious holy name, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Alright, so Paul has two points while he's in this section to the Ephesians. He has two points, and so I've got two points. Kind of, that's how it works. If, they've got, if, the, if Scripture has two points, you have two points. And the first point is this. Paul is reminding the Ephesians, and by nature of inspiration by the Holy Spirit, he's reminding us um, of our condition. He reminds us of our inherited guilt. He reminds us that we are, by our very nature, children of wrath, and what's worse, we are dead. Apart from Christ, we are dead. Now, normally, when we think about humanity, we think about the world as a whole, we often like to think of, of, of nicer thoughts than that. We don't like to think of the fact that, we are, that the humanity as a whole is dead. Without Christ, we can do nothing. We, like, we don't like to talk about like, the, the perilous political landscape. Of the day, we don't like to talk about these things. We don't like to talk about the, the terrorist attacks in Paris or um, the school shootings. Those things just bring us down. We don't like to think about those things um, because they they paint a picture of humanity that's pretty grim. Well, we like to think of you know the things that restore our faith, like the man who jumps in a like a raging river to save like a baby sheep or something. Like that's what we like to think about because that warms our hearts, makes us feel good, and makes us think that we have something that we can offer to the world, right? That's just how we are. But Paul, he's a realist. Um, he's, he's a realist. And he wants to, to, he paints a pretty grim picture of what humanity is like apart from God. 
while we tend to give humanity kind of a, like a modest thumbs up, uh, Paul says, no, you're dead. Like, you're, you're dead. There's nothing you can do. Um, you're dead in, in your trespasses and sins. Um, and you're following the course of this world. You're dead. But what's worse than death, um, you, there's not much worse than death, um, but what's worse than death is that Paul says that we are dead and we've somehow managed to actually run in the opposite direction from God, which doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. So when you read Paul here and you're, you're thinking about, okay, what's he talking about? And you read that you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, at face value, it kind of seemed like Paul's confused, right? Dead, dead people don't walk unless you're watching The Walking Dead. But for now, we're not, and we're not reading about it. We're reading the Bible. So the dead people don't walk. They're motionless. They lay in graves, and they're dead. That's, that's all they have. Um, and despite The Princess Bride, which is one of my favorite movies, you can't be mostly dead. There's no such thing as mostly dead, which is still slightly alive. There's only dead. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, the, the, he's nicknamed the Prince of Preachers, um, so I guess I have to, in my first sermon, reference him. Um, but he he's references the Prince of Preachers, and he puts it this way when he's interpreting this. He says, this, was our sarco- this is your sarcophagus. You were shut up in it, as in a great stone coffin, dead. He's talking about our sin. He said, this is your sarcophagus. It's your great stone coffin. You're dead. There's nothing you can do. Um, you're done. You're done for. Nothing man can do, nothing you can do can make you alive again. But the thing is, and we, we've hear, well, we hear about this in another place in Scripture too. We hear about this particular type of death um, in, in Scripture as well, and that's in Genesis 3. We hear God tell Adam and Eve, or tells Adam who tells Eve, that if you eat of the, tr- the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, then you will surely die. And they, if you know the story, they eat the fruit, right? And they don't die immediately. Which is like, oh, what's going on? Is God, what's God talking about here? Um, if they didn't die immediately, then surely he, he was mistaken. Well, no, he's not talking about a physical death. And Paul is not talking about a physical death either. Um, he is talking about a, a spiritual death. He's talking about a spiritual death. He, he wants his brothers and sisters in Christ, in Ephesus, whom he loves. If you read... Uh, the first chapter of Ephesians, he, he, loves, he loves them. But he wants, to know, he wants them to know that apart from Christ, they are spiritually dead, gone, and therefore they can do nothing good spiritually. All of their best works, all of their best intentions are nothing because they are dead. They can't do anything. See, Paul makes a point to say this is how we're worse off than like just being dead. We're worse off than that without Christ. Paul says that you're not only spiritually dead, unable to do anything good spiritually, but that we have chosen to walk, physically walk, in the direction opposite from God. So we run after other things. We're, we follow the prince of the power of the air that, that is at work in the sons of disobedience. We live in the passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of our body and mind. So we are spiritually dead, and we're physically, we're running from God. That's, pretty, that's a pretty grim picture of humanity, I think. Well, put it another way, if our relationship with God was put on a timeline, it did, our relationship with God does not exist on a timeline, but let's say it did, and God was all the way over here to the right, 
Okay, it's so God, eternity, eternal bliss, happiness, fulfillment. If God is over here on the right, we are born, and by our very nature, we're over here on the left. Right? We're over here, and we're dead. And because we're dead, we can't make any movement towards God. There's nothing we can do to get closer to God. And what's worse, in this you know, great stone coffin that Charles Spurgeon, it's like someone put a skateboard under it, and we're like rolling down a hill away from God. We're getting further and further from God. Nothing we can do can get us closer to Him. We're getting further and further from God and from our salvation. I have one question for y'all. Are you depressed yet? Like, are you sad? I see a lot of people frowning and, and like, this is, this is sad. This is the reality of our situation. This is the reality of humanity that we were dead and what's worse, we found, our, we found some way to be more dead than dead. That's Paul's first point in this passage. That, that's his first point. It's that apart from Christ, you are dead in your trespasses and sins. But there's a wonderful second point, and that's, and that's the point I want to make now, is that we may be dead in our trespasses and sins, but God, but God breathes life into our corpses. God breathes life into our corpses. See, uh, within these ten short verses, Paul kind of outlines the the entirety of the gospel. The entirety of the good news. He says it like this. He says, you are hopeless. You're, You're done for. You're hopeless. But God. He says, you're running from God. You're, you're trying to put yourself as far away from God as possible. But God. You're, you're spiritually dead. You're unable to do anything. You're unable to do anything that glorifies Him. That is good. That is befitting of, of a God who created you. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead, even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive. Christ reaches into our tombs, reaches into our graves, and He pulls us out. And that's the second point. That's, that's the good news of the Gospel. I, don't, I spend so much time um, just now kind of laying out the situation, telling you that you're dead, making you sad and depressed um, for, for good reason. I do that because without the knowledge of the bad news, you can't have knowledge of the good news. Sometimes we have to remind ourselves of where we come from, that we were dead. Even those of us who've spent our entire lives in the church, at some point you were dead. But Christ makes us alive. He makes us alive. The good news of grace is only so good because of the terrible state in which we are left without it. Grace is only so good because of how terrible the state we're left in without grace, without it, because of our sin, because of our own death, because of our own running from God. And that leaves us with two options. That leaves us with two options today for two different people. Um, there, there are those of us who have been made alive, who've been made alive in Christ. And there are those who have not. And so that leaves us with two different options. For first, for those of y'all who, are, who, are, who have been made alive, 
This is, this is what you're left with. You're left with one question. And that's this. How do you respond to the amazing gift that God has given you? That He's given to us. How do you respond to that gift? What do we do now that we've been made alive? We were dead, now we're alive. What do we do? Well, the very first thing that Paul tells, tells us is right here at the end of our, of our section, our, the end of our chapter, or not chapter, our verses. Um, he tells them, you were dead, Christ has made you alive, and now God's given you a role to play. Each of us, he's given us a distinct role, and Paul puts it this way. He says, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Y'all get that? We are His workmanship. We are the pinnacle of His creation. He has created us in His image. We are His, like, His most precious creation. And He's made good works for us. And He's prepared them beforehand so that we may walk in them. Our response to being made alive is, is simple. We have to shake off our grave clothes. We have, to, we have to get out of the grave and live in a manner worthy of being a son or daughter of Christ, of God. We have, to, we have to get up and we have to be about His His work. He's given us a calling. Each of us. He's given us a distinct calling in our lives. And no matter what that calling is, we have to pursue it. We have to live it out in a way that glorifies Him above all else. He has made us His workmanship. And we have to live accordingly. It doesn't matter if you're at work, if you're at home, if you're with family, you're with friends, you're alone. It doesn't matter if you're you're hanging out with your best friend, uh, fishing, drinking beer. It doesn't matter what you're doing. You do it to the glory of God. You do it to the glory of God. We have to be about our Father's work. We have to know that we've been made alive, and in His image, we must live appropriately. To put it another way. Um, on our honeymoon, Rebecca and I got this awesome opportunity to go see a Cirque du Soleil show. Um, if you don't know what a Cirque du Soleil show is, um, it's, this, it's this amazing show. I highly recommend going and seeing them. They're awesome. But it, basically, it just consists of all these people who've um, pushed their bodies to like the peak uh, physical performance that they could do, like the peak physical attributes. They've, they've done it. Um, and these guys, are, the guys and girls are crazy. Um, but they, they go around, and the entire show is just them doing ridiculous acrobatic stunts. That's, that's the entirety of the show, and it's awesome. Like, these people are, like, climbing 20, 30 feet up onto these, like, little tiny narrow poles, like, launching themselves from the pole 30 feet on the other side of the stage and grabbing, the, like, a new pole. Like, these, these people are insane. Um, and it's, it's just amazing to watch. Um, man, it's breathtaking. And everything has to be done perfectly. Everything has to be done perfectly or else um, just the unthinkable could happen. Like if two people are jumping from one pole to the other, they like jump it wrong, they hit each other in the air, and like that would just be terrible to watch. Um, which I think might be some of the appeal to the show. It's kind of like NASCAR. You just watch and see a wreck. and it, Maybe, I don't know. But th- these people are crazy and they very rarely mess up. Um, and you, you kind of gasp at the near misses and you... Yeah, um, it's just it's amazing. Um, but as you watch the show, you kind of start to realize that they, in most cases, not all, because some of these people are just crazy, um, but in most cases, there's some safety precaution in place. There's, some, there's a net 
or there's like padding on the on the floor, or there's um, they're in a harness, that, but it's like really kind of disguised somehow. Um, in most cases, there's some kind of safety precaution. And when they fall, which is very rare, but when they do fall, normally they can kind of jump back up, up dust themselves off, and just kind of get on with the performance. That's just kind of what it is. That there's been a couple times where people have died in these shows too. Um, but that's that's another here near there. Um, most of the time, they can jump back up and and keep on with the show. Um, and I make I, I reference Cirque du Soleil. Because in Christ, we're kind of like those performers. In Christ, as Christians, we're kind of like these performers. The whole world should be our audience. And as they look into our lives, just as you might watch a Cirque show, when the the world looks into our lives, they should see us and they say, Man, look how they love each other. Look how how that husband loves his wife and his wife loves her husband. Wife loves her husband. Like, just look at that. Look how amazing it is. Like, this guy, he, like, no matter what work we give him, no matter what job we give him, it could be scrubbing toilets, man, but he does it with the most joy of anybody I've ever seen. And he does it to the best of his ability. He does such a good job. And he's just so joyful about it. They should look at it in our lives like, man, I just want to, I hope I live by two Christians. Like, I want them to be, like, beside me because I know when I move, they're going to be bringing me stuff to eat. Um, I, I, want to, I want to live by them. I want to be their neighbor. I know they're, they're going to be the ones who throw the Super Bowl party. I know they're going to be the ones who, like, who just love, love me well. And if I'm out of town, they can watch my dog. Like, I, like, I just I want to live by Christian. Like, they're the best neighbors. They're the best students. They're the ones who try the heart. Like, they just love people. That's what the world should be seeing from us. There's a, an old hymn that, that I think rings so true. Um, and it goes, they will know we are Christians by our love. By our love. They will know we are Christians by our love. And that is so true. The world looks at us and they see us and they see, the, they see people who love one another. And that's how they know who we are. Just like you might know a cert performer in a show by the way he jumps from one pole to the other or does some other crazy acrobatic stunt. Like You would know that they are there. And know that they are certain performers because of the way they live their lives. Just like people, the world will know that we are Christians by the way we live our lives. But the big question is, what happens when we slip? The, like, what happens if we fall? What happens if the certain performer falls? What happens if we fail and we don't love our neighbor well? If we don't do a job well, what happens then? Well, the good news is the net's going to be there for us. The safety precaution is placed and this one doesn't fail. The blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. The blood of Christ has provided forgiveness for all of your transgressions. Scripture says it this way. It says, when you, uh, even when you were dead in your trespasses, even when you were dead in your sins, Christ made you alive. The net's there. He's going to provide for you. He's going to protect you. He's going to, he forgives you for all of that. But the thing is, is that both the net and the ability to perform the, the ability to love other people and to, and to be the best neighbor that we can be are both works of God's grace. Both of those are works of God's grace. We have to continue on with the show. Imagine if, get back to the Cirque, I promise this illustration is almost over, but imagine you go back to the Cirque, you, buy, you, like, you hear me t- talking about it and they, maybe there's one coming to, uh, to the Bon Secours Wellness Center, the, the Bilo Center. Um, 
imagine you see it like a show coming, so you buy tickets because Coleman's got you jazzed about going to see Cirque. Um, and you just want to see it. And you go and you buy your tickets and you get there and you're so excited because these people are crazy and you just want to see some cool flips and stuff. And like you get in there and the entire show, they're just sitting on the stage. And they don't, don't do anything. They just sit there. That wouldn't be much of a Cirque show, would it? Like, it wouldn't, like, the, the amazing acts that, that make up a Cirque performance aren't there, and so therefore it wouldn't be a Cirque show, and you probably would demand your money back. Well, in the same way, we have amazing works that God has prepared for us. For those of you, us who have been made alive, God has given us amazing works that He has prepared for us to do. And we have to, the shows must go on, as they would say. And, you, and we keep going, we keep pushing, and we keep doing these things. We have to be at work on our Father's business or else no one will believe that we've been made alive. Now, there's one other type of person that you could be in this situation. You've either been made alive, as Paul kind of distinguishes, it's two people. You're either dead and you're following the prince of the power of the air, or you've been made alive. That's the two distinct, two distinct groups. That's all there is. Alive, dead, that's it. And maybe you find yourself on the other side today. Maybe you find yourself on the other side of, of life and you're dead and you don't follow Jesus. The gospel is clear. If you, if you don't follow Jesus, you're dead. Spiritually, you're, you're, you're dead. You're flatlined on a table. And nothing that man can do, no defibrillator is going to bring you back. Like you're dead. But God, but God has a solution that's going to work 100% of the time. And that's this, faith. Faith through grace. Believe in Christ Jesus and He will make you alive. Belief, simple faith and knowing that God died for your sins, believing that He is Lord, and, and submitting to Him. And Christ makes you alive. All through an act of grace. It's all an act of God's grace. Back to the original story. I'm done with Cirque. Back to Disney. The little girl, remember she, she had a previous family. They went to Disney World a ton. Um, and left her behind. She got a new father, a new family, and they decided they were going to bring her to Disney. She was acting up. She was misbehaving. Um, and the dad had to kind of sit down and reprimand her. And he, he fully intended to kind of hold Disney over her head. He fully intended to say, look, get your act straight or you're not going to Disney. He, that's what he intended to do. But the second that little girl said, I know what you're going to do, Dad. I know you're not going to take me to Disney World. By God's grace, he, start, he, he stopped himself. And he responded with a couple of questions. And he said this. He asked the little girl, he said, are we taking this trip as a family? The, the, as he's telling a story, he says, my daughter like immediately teared up. He said, are we taking this trip as a family? She cry, she's crying at this point. She just kind of shakes her head yes. He said, are you a part of this family? Again, she's, she's like bawling at this point. She's kind of wide-eyed, says yes. And he looks at his daughter and says, but we're not going to leave you behind. We're not going to leave you behind. You are ours. 
and we're not going to leave you behind. See, the, the daughter's behavior got, like, terrible. This guy's as he's telling the story, I don't have time to kind of elaborate on all of the terrible things that this girl was doing right before Disney because of her past and everything. But she, her behavior got so, so bad. But the father persevered in his promise to take this girl to Disney World. He persevered, and, he, and they went. And for the first time ever, she kind of got to walk through the doors of the Magic Kingdom. She got to see all the characters, see the parade, see the fireworks, the rides. It's magical. I love Disney. Um, If you didn't know, I love Disney. You should too. Anyway, um, she got to walk and she got to experience it firsthand. And in, in that moment, the father saw a change in this girl. In the, in the few days they spent at Disney World, he saw a change. And on their last day, he, he records this. On the last day, he was putting her to bed. They were staying at the Buena Vista Resort, um, which is awesome. But they were staying there. And, um, and the little girl, like half asleep, looks at her dad and says, Daddy, I finally got to go to Disney World. I finally got to go. But it wasn't because I was good. It wasn't because I was good. It's because I'm yours. Something clicked in her. She went from, I know you're not going to take me to Disney World, so she was just acting bad to act bad, to I got to go to Disney World because I'm yours. And he saw a completely different child in that moment. And from that moment on, it was almost like she was made alive for the first time. See, she finally understood what it meant to have a father who kept his promises. He finally under, she finally understood what it meant to have a family and to be loved, truly. And the thing is, we have a family too. We have a father too. And he keeps his promises. And from the very beginning of time, he promises, he's, I'm going to make you alive. And despite our behavior, even despite our death and our running from him, he makes us alive. So the question is for y'all, again, for y'all who have been made alive, I just have one question and we're done. How do you respond? How do you respond to being made alive? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this time that you've given us to hear your word. I pray that um, as we leave this morning, I pray that you um, open our eyes to the gift that you have given us. That you open our eyes to the fact that you have made us alive and how special and how amazing that is. How unbelievable that is. But Lord, I pray that you, in our hearts, um, work in grace to help us to follow you and to love others well because you loved us. Because you made us alive. Lord, help us to to glorify you and to love people and to live like these certain performers perform. Help us to live that way. That we may do these, these things that you've made for us to do. And do so in love and in joy. Father, be with us now. As in your son's precious and holy name I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.